head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 278 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Charlie Sheen of Irish MMA media to talk about a fairly short night last night in the world of MMA and a few more things as well that might come to mind, that might spring up in the illustrious minds of the two best, biggest, most legendary Irish MMA media members of all time. Graham, how are you? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the biggest arseholes of all time. <laughs> I thought all um, time <laughs> It could have went either way, that one. Could have, yeah. Um, yeah, no, all good, all good. I think, um, yeah, I think, like, in, in the past, if you had asked me, uh, do you want more fights or less fights on a card, I, I think, like, 12 or whatever is, is good. But I think I might have enjoyed the, the seven-fight card a bit more. Yeah, I did as well. It, just, it, just with... with it, yeah. It's a pity it didn't start a bit earlier and finish a bit earlier, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like, even... It's funny because usually when... Like the, I think the fans for the last few years were always this way where we want to kind of less is more, I think, because it's not that... Like, if we had cards every month, we'd probably want 12, 13, 15 fights on a card like. But the fact we have them every week and in the Dana White Contender Series thing as well, yeah. which people want... Like, we have well, enough if you want fights. to put 12, like, top-level fights on a card, oh, yeah. we'd be unbelievably excited. But having, like, eight kind of mediocre no kind of jeopardy, no, nothing in the hanging in the balance fights... You know, some of them can get a bit, with oversaturation and cards all over the place, as you mentioned, they can get a bit tiresome sometimes. Yeah, and even see John Anik last night after the podcast, he was like, I love these seven-fight cards, and DC was as well. And Yeah, it was it was what it did. Before we get into the card, though, here, one thing I wanted to bring up to you was, and if not, anyone hasn't listened to the podcast yet, we did a podcast with uh, Ken Early over on Patreon. It's up for free, so I'm not selling you anything, although I do sign up patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. And... Um, we were obviously, we were talking about soccer and stuff on it, but then I asked him, like, a question about MMA, and I asked him about, like, Conor McGregor and stuff, and he's like, well, why isn't McGregor fighting or something? And we kind of, I, I listened back to it a bit, we gave him, like, a short answer, and then he didn't really understand it, so I gave him, like, a long answer that took, like, two minutes to say or something, and as I was saying it, and afterwards as well, I was like... MMA is a stupid fucking sport, isn't it? Like, MMA is the only sport. I remember talking to someone about this before that covered others. I, I don't know, was it Phil or it was someone else, I think. But um, I, people that cover other sports have to, like, get really deep into MMA before you can understand it because it's so stupid. Like, the way I think... Like, like Messi this week, right? He was on about leaving Barcelona... Uh, he found out he'd either have to go to court or pay seven hundred million. He's like, "That's well, neither of those things are going to happen." So I'll just stay for another year, and I'm gonna he'll play like in two weeks' time or whatever, you know. Or they might sell him. They might say, decide, look, we don't want him, and he's gonna go. But it will be resolved like in the next two weeks, three weeks, month at most, you know. Whereas in, in, in and there's okay, there's other things that like Gareth Bale and stuff, but that's that's a different sort of thing. But in MMA, this happens regularly. Like, like it's happened with McGregor. It happens with uh, Masvidal there earlier in the year. It happens with Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, Brock Lesnar. <laughs> you know, it happens with everyone. And it's it's a weird. It's such a weird spark. Everyone listening to this, well, like ninety nine percent of the people listening to this probably like um, understand it. You know, and said the reason there are reasons behind it. You know, there's no crowd and no gate and the ESPN deal where they have a certain amount of money they get give to the UFC and get and the UFC get um and you know the UFC are happy enough to do that but like did, I don't know did that stick out to you and another thing as well that stuck out to me in that like I, I think on this podcast we're very much like the maybe not maybe insiders is the wrong word but inside the sport of MMA if you know what I mean inside like the the, the jokes that are going on in the MMA world and you know all that's happening but like I asked Ken early about like the heavyweight title fight and he was like he didn't even know <laughs> like he just kind of dodged the question a little bit and he's like no I'm not paying attention to MMA anymore there isn't really anything exciting and I I don't know what you thought of that but I was like 
I, we were talking last week's podcast and I talked in the Q&A before as well about like how MMA needs to be more exciting and draw people in and I feel like for the last while it really hasn't what, what did you like did you think the same things as me when you were doing that I was like a little bit worried because Ken had interest in MMA at one stage like yeah well, I think it's it's kind of an Irish thing of jumping on uh, anything that's successful um, for the ride like you know people were into women's hurt or women's hockey there for a while when they were doing well in the World Cup or Irish cricket and when they're not doing well nobody knows what's going on nobody cares nobody ever talks about it but when the big moments come everybody jumps on board the bandwagoners <laughs> yeah, I feel like MMA though MMA no, is, just for the crack, like jumping yeah. on, jumping on the crack. There's, there's definitely a, a bit of, there's a lot of that, like fucking seventy five percent, ninety percent maybe is that. But there was a lot of Irish MMA fans that were picked up, like during the McGregor era and staying on. But I, and like even people covering the sport as well, and people covering the sport. Some like some did it just to say MMA should be banned and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of those people. I remember, like, at one time there was websites and there was articles about fucking Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald and, you know, the fucking Douglas Lima or whoever it might be, and they were popping up all over the place. And I don't really see them as much anymore, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it feels like. Well, yeah, they must have. These yeah. places are not. These websites didn't stop doing them because any moral reasons, I don't think. It was probably a click through reason, like page impression reason. So, obviously, the. The, the interest and in maybe people knew Robbie Lawler from that fight with Rory McDonald kind of via McGregor in, in, in Ireland but um, yeah it must be just a, just a, these websites aren't doing it anymore because there's just not they're not getting the clicks they were like they used to kind of wedge McGregor's name into every headline that was possible but don't really seem to do that as much anymore either yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's true. And I don't know what the reasons behind that are. Maybe like he, people. I think the level of interest has kind of just gone a bit. And I think the thing is, he came back in January, and you could see the levels of interest kind of coming back, and not as big as they were before, especially from the fans, and especially like the the week leading up to it. You know, I asked him the question when I interviewed him, and he was like, you know, we'll see, kind of. And that, it's a different thing now because obviously there's no fans allowed into stadiums and stuff. But I, I suppose transitioning maybe a little bit into McGregor because it's I think that's another interesting thing as well because we we talked and as I mentioned earlier about the entertainment value and them needing to get we look we look at this card and we look at the cards before and you know a lot of these cards actually have turned out to be full enough cards but if you're sitting there two hours before the card and you're like right am I going to stay up until four o'clock in the morning to watch this or if you're in America am I going to go to fucking Buffalo Wild Wings with Michael Chandler to watch this card and you're looking at that lineup, you're probably saying no for most of them, like, you know, for most of these cards recently, you're probably saying no. And that, no, that hurts the UFC in a way as well. Like, the, we talked about the, the falling off kind of interest in MMA for a lot of people. Now, the hardcores never listen to this, their interest probably isn't going to fall, it'll take a lot for them to, uh, to fall, but... I feel like the UFC have kind of a duty to themselves to keep themselves in it. And whether that's paying Conor McGregor uh, an extra, or not, not an extra amount of money, but like 10 million over or 5 million over what you'd like to pay him these days, just to kind of keep that going, I think that's probably worked in the long run. And especially if McGregor goes in there saying get to win, and by the time he fights it in again, and six months after it, the fans are back and you can get him another big fight after it. Like, John Jones now, I think they've done a smart thing with Jones with kind of letting him talk himself into a heavyweight uh, fight and moving up and taking that extra time to move up. So they've kind of given themselves leeway there. But like, I know McGregor retired and everything, but at the time he did an interview with Ariel when he retired and he said, um, you know, he said that they weren't getting him fights or whatever. And he said he was getting frustrated with it. And it's it's all well and good you know, the UFC not having a fight and trying to wait out this virus, but you're going to be a long time waiting out this virus if you're waiting and out. Like, I, I really think they need to get him back for their own sake, for the sake of the fans too, because we want we need something big to look forward to. Like, it's great looking forward to Adesanya versus Costa, and that's a very, very good fight. But the problem they played it last night, and he's like, oh, he's a blown-up Ricky Martin. It was just embarrassing stuff. Like, it was it was it was just it didn't sound good the fight itself is grand great and there's loads of good fights coming up like me versus gaethje and everything like that but and especially with that fight as well coming up i think you need mcgregor in the mix like i know i know obviously you'd love to love to see him back and all like that or maybe you would maybe you'd like to see him retire but do you, i think do you agree that the ufc need to get him back as quickly as they can just for the sport itself 
Yeah, I think like giving them the right fights as well you need to spark that huge interest again. Like, for example, do you think if, if for example, okay, uh, the next fight is Habib and Justin, let's say Habib wins in, in Habib fashion and the next fight is McGregor and he goes out there and dominates Habib over three rounds, finishing him or something, some, something that's like a clear win and he comes after Usman. Do you think that Usman fight, do you think like you, it can ever be like kind of grab the attention of everybody again or do you think it's it was a shiny new thing at the start and it was kind of even elevated into the conscience of people by the debate of, oh, is this barbaric? Is this, should this be illegal? All this stuff. Like, do you think like the kind of, it was a, a perfect storm that can't be replicated or do you think that, uh, okay, maybe it can't be replicated to the exact heights, but do you think it can go up up the chart very high again if the, the right fights and the right victories fall into place? Do you think, is that McGregor all over the world or McGregor in Ireland? In Ireland, yeah, I, I I don't think it can in Ireland again, to be honest, because like the people know the thing about it right now is, as you said, it was the bandwagon at the time, and people jumping on. This is the first time you know we've seen him, or like he's he's on this roll, and we're going to get on it. He is no longer on the roll. Like may, maybe it could happen again, but it, he is no longer this guy who's came from nowhere, you know, from nothing to something to everything, as he said famously himself, the Daryl Hawani once I think was. Now it's no longer that people know Conor McGregor. You have your opinion of him already, and you either love him or hate him. And you know both of those people are going to tune in. But it's it's a different sort of thing. Like there's no longer going to be this McGregor mania where people are like dressing like him, and like you go out on a Saturday night and it's people with top knots and dicky balls. Like that's just not going to happen again. I don't think because. I think he's not putting himself out there to be that anymore. You know, before he was on the Late Late Show the whole time. He had the documentaries going the whole time. He was on The Ultimate Fighter. You know, people were talking about him at the time. We were seeing him too much. We were getting sick of him. Like, I never see him now. You know, uh, I think um, Ken mentioned on the podcast about him doing the, the aqua cycling thing. And I didn't even realize he was out there, to be honest. I haven't even seen it. Like, the odd time I'd go on Instagram, I hate Instagram. I'd see, like, a picture of him. He doesn't really tweet that much or anything anymore. Like, it's... I think, I think he could do it if he stepped up things and got like a, a PR campaign like he did the last time. And I know it was more natural the last time, you know, just getting on the late late show and getting on fucking TV three and things like that, and you know, becoming that lad who no one knew to the lad everyone knew. Um, and I he did that with more than MMA. He, MMA was a huge part of it. I've always said like if McGregor hadn't won all those fights throughout the years and come back from the losses the way he did, he wouldn't have become the big star that he he once was but now he already is that star and i don't think wins wins and losses mean a lot and wins will mean a lot but if you don't have the second part of it with it as well i don't think it can reach those sides like in mma as well i think the bigger issue for me especially and for i suppose lots of people listen to this podcast it's not how big he can become outside of mma or as like a personality or as a superstar i think it's how good he can become again as a fighter like can he reach the heights he did against eddie alvarez you know people talk about that fight and uh and say like this was prime Conor McGregor, and and it's funny we don't we actually don't talk about Conor McGregor that often on the podcast. Maybe we mention him once or twice, but have a long conversation like this for five minutes. And I suppose it's odd the biggest star in the history of the sport coming from Ireland. But like uh, that that's what fascinates me as an MMA fan, and everyone listening to this is an MMA fan. Can Conor McGregor replicate the brilliance he had inside the cage once? And I think he was talking about doing that the right way. You know, you mentioned on the podcast we did with Ken with the season. I said that myself. He needs two, three fights. And, like, jumping back in against Habib wouldn't be the right way to do it now, I don't think. I think someone like a Pettis or someone someone like that coming up would be the right fight uh, to give McGregor to get one more. But that, that, I think he would have taken that fight, you know, whether it was a Dos Anjos coming back to 155 or something like that. Um, but the, the UFC have scuppered those plans, and that must be, like... McGregor had said it straight out. He wanted to do this season. You know, he wanted to do these three fights: the the first fight against Cerrone, the second fight against whoever it might be, a Dos Anjos, let's say, and then the third fight, or maybe maybe even Tony Ferguson, or whatever like that, and then the third fight against Tabib for the title. And imagine how frustrating it would be to have that plan and have all of the right ideas and how to get back to the top. Maybe it wouldn't have worked. Well, maybe Dos Anjos would have knocked him out in two minutes. You know, we never know. But that he had the right plan to do it, and it was scuppered by the UFC. I think, like. If I was Conor McGregor and I had all the money in the world, I'd be very, very wary about doing any sort of favourable deal for the UFC to get back there as well. Like, I, I would be very fucking sour at him at the moment, but I know. What, what do you think in, in that situation before we move on to the fights last night? 
Yeah, well, I think like yeah, he definitely like what he was ta- what he was talking about the season and what the opponents he seemed to want. Uh, he was definitely trying to build up towards like you know achieving another kind of uh, another kind of dream. You know, you had to kind of when you reach all your dreams, you kind of have to go reassess. Like, what was the quote from the tweet? It was like, "Give me twenty five million in the bank, a world title." black belt he doesn't have a black belt yet but i think i think if you if you wanted if you wanted to put a bit of bit of effort into the gi he, he would get that pretty quickly um so he kind of had to you know he achieved everything he became the double champ and all that and the first time and kind of made all his money and had other interests and has a family and all so it is it is a kind of hard thing to probably mentally kind of get back to where you were like that that hunger that you had when you were just living week to week or day to day training and that was it mm-hmm. yeah like, I think, is that possible to get back to um, it's a very interesting question but i think he was trying it and that's an, like i know we uh, if you're looking at the prize fighter right and you want to see the apex of prize fighting in mma conor mcgregor like reached that you know he's not left to prove not left to do but if you're looking at it from like a a fighting point of view or an in-cage point of view. He was really, really, really good. But I don't think he reached his potential in terms of winning a title, maybe not even defending it, but fighting lots of fights after it, having the big fights like Higuchi, a Tony Ferguson, even fighting Aldo again, the Frank Edgar fight back in the day, going up maybe to welterweight and fighting Usman. Like, there's... And like I'm not saying he's going to win all those fights, but there, there seems to me, or feel it feels like to me that we've missed out on lots of those fights. And that's that. As a as a fight fan myself, like and everyone listening to this, I'm sure they they, they feel a similar way. It's a bit like it's sad that one of the generation's best fighters uh, we've missed out on. And the sad, the, the even sadder thing about it is, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe maybe I'm 100 percent wrong, but I feel like he wanted to do that himself a little bit now because he has all the money earned, he's all the fame got. He's not look as I said there ten, five minutes ago. I don't think he's looking for the fame as much anymore. Now he'll go and do things, and I'm sure he'll go to Super Bowl balls and World Cup finals and everything like that. But he's he's not the you know he's different now he has that already he can do one thing and he has his fame rush if he wants it or whatever but it felt like he was getting back to be a fighter and taking it serious again and it was kind of ripped from under him which is which is very unfortunate for him and for us whether you love him or hate him you know whether you want to see him getting beat or you want to see him winning it's uh it's a bit of a sad situation but hopefully like as I said, as we kind of started, I don't know, it kind of got away from us there, but as as I started with this, hopefully the UFC can get it going. And I think the fans need to put pressure on the UFC as well and, like, you know, make their voices heard and say they want Conor McGregor to come back. But how much of that can you actually do? And, uh, you know, maybe it'll take something from him coming out and saying, like, I'm on retired, I want the fight now. The UFC need to give me a fight uh, for them to do it. But I don't know. I don't know if that'll even work at this stage. But however. Um, right, let's talk about some of these fights from uh, from last night. Alistair Overeem versus Augusta Sakai. We might as well start uh, from the very top and start in the main event. Um, I thought this was a pretty good fight. You know, I wasn't expecting it to maybe be as good as it was. Um, I think Sakai started uh, relatively well in the first two rounds. You could argue that he was up two rounds um, uh, to start it off. Although I thought Overeem just took the first. I thought, like in a close round, like that first round... I think Overeem landing that big overhand right that wobbled Sakai a bit and uh, looked to me like it hurt him. That's the type of blow that you look for with the most immediate impact on it to kind of take the round. Now Sakai landed his own shots, but there was a thing as well in those first two rounds where Sakai was missing lots of shots. And now in the second round especially, I think he missed a shitload of shots, but I think he still landed enough shots to uh, to win it. Overeem fighting out of orthodox a lot. Sakai was throwing lots of shots in in the third as well, and they were blocked. Uh, he had a lovely right hand inside, and he had a lovely low kick and a bit of a clinch as well. Overeem got the takedown in. And at that point... I was kind of thinking, oh, Sakai looks a little bit tired, and there was some nice ground and pound from over him. He cut Sakai up with a hammer fist, and I think he stole around towards the end of that third round. Uh, and then in the fourth, you had that standing elbow from um, from Sakai to cut over him. But over him, oh, I, I thought it was a bit of veteran savvy as well. Over him kicked him in the dick in that fourth round and gave himself a bit of a, a bit of a rest there. But he got the takedown again with two minutes left and landed nice ground and pound, almost finished it towards the end of that fourth round. And in the fifth, he did finish it, got the immediate takedown and got ground and bound. I thought 
There was a lot of veteran savvy here again, you know, a little bit like Frank Edgar the last time as well. Uh, getting the takedowns at the right time, you know, to stop you know this close round from being a close round and just to take it and it's not just the takedowns i'm saying that stole the round it's the the ground upon the top when you take a guy down and you cut him open with a big hammer fist in a very close round that means a lot you know and that that is stealing around if you want to say it like that but uh i thought it was a veteran performance from overeem i thought it was very good and for a 40 year old heavyweight um i was i was pretty impressed what did you think yeah, I was impressed because uh, Overeem looked as tired at one stage, more tired, and it kind of seemed the fight was going um, was going at Sakai's pace, and that he was the one who was going to get stronger as the fight went on. But Overeem, as you said, veteran move, kicking him in the dick, <laughs> getting a bit of energy built up, getting that takedown. Uh, when once he was on top, he didn't he didn't panic. He just kind of put his weight on him. He knew Sakai didn't want to be there. You could kind of see by the body language that he wasn't really trying to to get back up. Uh, in any kind of technical way so over him just kind of he ate a couple of shots kind of getting into the guard and then you know he he did a lot of damage like he's a big big guy over him and when he's on top of your landing elbows and hammer fists and stuff like that it, you could see the damage it was doing and um you know maybe if, if there was a little bit more left than 30 more seconds in that round he would have finished it then mm-hmm. but uh, it was kind of seemed inevitable when the fifth round started that uh over was going to go for the takedown and smartly he did and once he did you knew it was over and i think i think everybody knew it was over and herb dean was just kind of waiting for the the moment to stop it once before the strikes even happened on the ground mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree yeah he was i think herb maybe left the go a little bit at the end of the four round not too egregious not especially for her but uh, it's funny over him two of his last three fights have ended in the fifth round which you know for a guy uh, 39 for his last fight i think he was and then 40 for this fight that's that's a lot of time in the cage for a guy who's had a lot of time in the cage before as well but you know, like in his last five fights yeah, if you had said that yeah. what it was six six years ago when Overeem was uh, a different guy mm-hmm. is that he'd be he'd be 40 when winning in the fifth round um you, you, you definitely wouldn't you, you like you know there's the fighting style that he has now and, and he has then is obviously uh kind of shows an, another bit of his veteran savvy and smartness to 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 realize that he can't he can't do what he was doing before and to change his game up and you know beats him like okay these aren't the very top guys and he's talking about making a run at the title or whatever but i don't think that's very feasible but you never know what heavyweight when the when <laughs> when guys like over him are thrown hard anybody can get knocked out but he's still beating some good guys and you know uh, even more than whatever six years ago 15 years ago people were calling for him to retire because yeah. of his because of his dodgy chin when i think he was knocked out nine times by the by the age of 20 something mm-hmm. I, I i thought it was interesting as well last night. i remember years ago i, I think it was I think, it was, let me just look, it was the uh, Junior Dos Santos fight, and that was in 2015, where we saw that kind of big change in Overeem style, and maybe we saw it in a couple of fights before that as well, where he won against uh, Ryan Nelson and uh, and Stefan Struve after getting knocked out by uh, by Ben Rotwell, but he kind of changed the style and became more technical and maybe more a little bit more defensive. And I, I thought it was interesting last night the f- way he fought out of the uh, the orthodox stance for most of the fight, which is unusual for Overeem. You know, we we see him switching stances a lot, but he he fights out of the southpaw stance a lot. And I wonder why that was. I'd be interested. I don't know if anyone asked him about it afterwards. I haven't seen the post fight scrum, but I'd be interested to know why it was. Was it something he saw in Sakai, or was it to be a little bit more? Um, maybe a little bit more offensive in that fight um, because I thought he was a little bit more offensive last night which I don't know is the best thing in the world for Overeem but he you know he, he took a lot of those shots pretty well and uh, the knees to the body as well against the clinch from both guys were, were really really good but I was very impressed like I think Daniel Cormier last night suggested a rematch with Jarzinho Rosenstruck, which I like. I think that's a good fight because he was dominating that fight until the last fucking 15 seconds of it. And his other fights around that, like he beat uh, pa- Pavlovich, he beat Olenek, he beat Walt Harris last time out, and he beat Sakai last night. So four of his last five he's won. And at heavyweight, like that's <laughs> at lightweight, you know, you might be ranked even with that. But at heavyweight, you're right in the mix there. Um, so I think over him, if he can get, uh, if he can get that Jarzinho Rosenstruck fight back, um, and if he can win that, you know, he's right there or thereabouts again. Because if you look at those heavyweight rankings, like, okay, you've Stipe, um, you've Curtis Blades there as well, and you have uh, Francis Ngannou with DC allegedly gone. And after that, you haven't that much because you've, like, Derek Lewis, 
Uh, and I said, as I said, Rosenstruck over that as well. And then you've over him. So he's still not too far away from that with lots of guys like Dos Santos, Volkov, uh, Sakai Harris taking losses um, as well. So he's he's still there or thereabouts. And uh, good to see. Good to, Like last week, we were like talking about the end of an era and like, oh, is there any guys from this era still around? And he's like, oh, wait, over him's fighting this. <laughs> Wolverine's fighting this week, so there's still one doing it, so the, the air is still going for a little bit more, but sure, look, we'll see how it goes anyway. Um, then in the Coleman event, OSP did what OSP does, um, kicks to the body and left hands. I like Ovan Sempru is more yeah. one handed than Nick Newell, a hundred percent. Like, he just he throws his left hand and nothing else. It's so I like. I well, what about, what about his left kicks? He had some left peg on him. He was he mm-hmm. about twenty left kicks in a row <laughs> before the yeah. finish. Yeah, he does. He's like, like, yeah. soccer kick you everywhere, like yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. His his kicks were good last night. I thought he had improved a bit with his kicks, but he uh, he just doesn't have a right hand. <laughs> he just doesn't. It's it's hilarious, like because if you go back and watch any OSP fight, go on fight pass and pick out an OSP fight, right? When he's fighting out of the south boss stands, he like he like pauses with his right hand and then just throws straight lefts the whole time. He switches to south bot and he just throws jabs the <laughs> jabs the or uh, switches to orthodox and just throws jabs the whole time. Like it's it's actually so funny. If you're like a fighter who goes back and watches all tape, like I don't know how OSP is so good. I actually don't understand how OSP is so good and how he wins so many fights. Like, he's definitely the best bad fighter in, in the history of MMA because, like, he must be so fast and so strong and have such a good chin to, like, get himself through his uh, his bad points. Like, imagine if, imagine if OSP went to, like, a proper big camp and, like, learned how to jab and learned how to strike properly. He'd be amazing. He'd be like he'd be one of the best fighters, and he's already one of the best fighters in the world. You know, he's been in the top ten, top five in light heavyweight for years and years and years. Um, and I just like it seems like untapped potential with OS- <laughs> with OSP. It feels like it feels like he's the, the still like the first six months he's come into the gym, and he's still fighting the same way. It's so odd, and he won again last night. You know, fair play to him. But like, I don't know. If, it was a beautiful finish too. Well, <laughs> yeah, lovely, left. lovely left hand. But even then, like the left hand, it was kind of a slapping left hand, and he knocks him out. Like the amount of power he has, he doesn't even have to land. Like, like it was well timed and on on the button, and that you know, as as we mentioned, Conor McGregor, and that means more than uh, anything else when when you land on the right spot at the right time. But uh, yeah. OSP is an he's an interesting dog, an interesting cat. I, I I like watching him fight all the time because I always have something to say about it. And speaking of interesting fucking cats or fucking whatever you want to call Michael Pereira zebras or fucking uh, what are the most like computer uh, game yeah. computer game voters? <laughs> fucking like oh I have to say it before we we get into the positives about Daniel fucking Carmen. He needs to be taken off of Michael Pereira fights. He, like. He just does not get him. He doesn't get him at all. It's just like, oh, he needs to conserve his energy. He needs to do these things. Like, shut the fuck up, please. Will you? If Mikel Pereira's fighting, you need to. I wouldn't say he was even like, oh, he did better in the first round. He didn't expend too much energy yeah. like he usually does. It's like he did like Showtime kicking. All. What are you talking about? Like- <laughs> yeah, like he. Okay, in fair, in, like I kind of agree with that a little bit from DC. But I love it the second round. In he like started dancing around and like licking his own palm and slapping. Uh, uh, Imadaya for a was the Rolling Thunder in the first or the second? The second round. The Rolling yeah. Thunder in the first or the second, second round. Yeah. What but, a maniac. Yeah, I do agree a little bit that he's doing it too much. Like, he, he did, like, have, like, uh, he had him rocked at one stage and he started putting his hands behind his back. It's like, you could just finish him now if you want, really, like, more than likely. <laughs> There's, I could not disagree with you more. He's not doing enough. He needs to do more. Like, Oh, and I love that. Uh, well, he does it every fucking 10 seconds. Yeah. Is that not enough for you? <laughs> no, it's not. I want more. There wasn't any black flips last night, really. Like, it was... Oh, I was very... Like, he was doing the, the... As you said, the hands behind the back. And then, like, licking both hands. And at one stage, he started, like, computer glitching. He was just, like... He was just rubbing up against the cage or something. But I think... The thing about him is, right, he has managed to keep that madness. But being more effective, I think. Because now what he's doing is... 
he's making people afraid to go after him and especially guys like Imadayev who are like willing to just go out and strike with him and then he's actually launching that big right hand he landed like that first round last night I thought that was a 10-8 and it ended uh, it ended toward the end of the fight obviously so it didn't go to the decision but I thought that was a 10-8 in the first round he landed big bombs right down through the middle um, and he's an effective striker as well as being fun but like we, we spoke about it last week and the week before so you need entertainment in MMA you need guys to drag you in and guys you want to see fight like last night the second this fight ended I saw loads of people half the people were saying Wonderboy the next half of the people were like he called out Mass for that everyone wanted to see it I suggested Robbie Lawler be a bit of a mad fight Matt Brown people were saying like that's what happens when Mikel Pereira fights. You want to see him fight again against your favourite fighter, you know? He's one of those sort of fighters, and that's what we need. Who, name another person last night who liked that, even. Like, Munoz, Kelleher, Arujo, Azur, anyone, like, say, oh, I want to see them fight next? Probably, like, probably some, you know, one who wants to get an interview off him or something. But, like, <sighs> Mikel Pereira is just different level. Like, I love him so much. He's brilliant. He's he make, like He makes cards exciting. He makes fights exciting. He makes the sport exciting. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. Uh, the only thing I can compare yeah, him to you never know. is a young Cristiano Ronaldo when he came through at Man United. Just, <laughs> every time he got the ball, you were like excited to see him have it. Like, yeah. Well, I think like you know, obviously, uh, you know, his his antics when the highlight reel can can definitely can definitely excite people. Mm-hmm. But like, how far do you think he can actually go with this? Like, it's 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 a pretty tough division as you get up there. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, he's a bit of a wild man. He got disqualified or he got, what was it? Yeah, DQ'd for, was it a legal knee? I don't know. Who cares? Like, what? Like, I don't know. Miguel you know, yeah. like, but like, yeah. for him, actually, like for our excitement, it's best he keeps mm-hmm. doing what he's doing. But for him getting to the top, like, do you think like toning down some of this is like, he can still do some of it, but uh, to, as he goes up the, up the levels, like, uh, guys aren't going to, like, if, you, if you're turning your back a lot, you're going to get dumped to the, to the ground if you're doing crazy things like and you end up on your back these guys are going to pounce on this like mm. I, like okay like uh not every fighter can be like a title contender or, or whatever but this guy probably could if he if he had the right game plan and if he had the kind of you know he has all the tools mm-hmm. i hope the god he never does that though like we need guys like that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i i yeah. feel like he but doesn't like with Lando Bonata, he lost everything yeah. when he kind of went away from his exactly. craziness he kind of has a little bit of a still but he kind of lost everything that made him him and made him dangerous and now he's just another fighter really yeah exactly and that could happen so to Pereira as well kind of ways, but mm-hmm. yeah it think, could easily yeah i think Pereira though I think Pereira doesn't want to do that. Like, he, he said he was sparring with cows and stuff coming up to, in, this, in this card and in this, uh, in this camp. But, like, I, I feel like himself, he wants to be this... Like, some guys, they come in and they're exciting. And, like, uh, maybe Vanad has the perfect example. He's exciting. He almost beats Tony Ferguson. And he's a couple of exciting fights after that. But then he loses a couple and they're like, right, you need to get back to winning ways here now. You need to, you know, stop this bullshit. And we need to go and, you know, fight properly and throw your jab and do the right things at the right time. And if it didn't work for him. It did not work for him. And I think... um, I think Mikel Pereira wants to be exciting more than he wants to be successful and i want him to be more exciting and that's very selfish i suppose but it's not when he wants the same thing so i have no problem with it like i i think i think fans need to be calm as well with Mikel Pereira and uh, after he fights you couldn't be calm when he fights because he's so exciting but you know what i mean it's like we can't wish for Mikel Pereira to change. We can't wish for him to get better and more technical and everything like that. We should wish for him to stay the exact same way he, as he is. Wild and entertaining and fun. We need this in MMA. Like, you can still have your John Joneses and you can still have your Habibs and you can still have your Demetrius Johnsons and Patricio Pitbulls and all these guys. But you, we can have him too and we can have the MVPs and we can have Diego Sanchez's and guys like that who we just love to watch and who are exciting and everything like that. Uh, we, those two things can live together in MMA and especially if the guys want them to be that way. You know, they want their career to go that way. I think there's no problem with that. And I think we should, as like supporters of MMA, people listening to this and as, as uh, media members covering it, I was going to call us journalists there, but I don't know, would that be too accurate? We like 
we we should re- realize this is a part of MMA. Always has been a part of MMA, and it'd be an awful fucking sad day if it no longer was a part of MMA, where entertainment and entertaining guys were a huge part of it. And Mikel Pereira is the most entertaining. Hashtag Team Sheehan, legend, the the, the goat, right? Any more? Any more to say? But it's also good, it's also good for your it's also good for your UFC career longevity that Dana White likes you and yes. your style and people like Diego Sanchez as you mentioned is still around for for that reason not for any kind of you know top level competition reasons. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the next fight down then was Andre Muniz versus Bartos Fabinski. Um, Bartos took him down early and the people were talking about Muniz being a good jiu-jitsu guy which I would know not much about that now. Uh, but he nearly guillotined him. Uh, then he changed over to the triangle. I was very smart. What was our fight last week where he did a, a, something happened, a similar sort of thing happened, but he kind of faked the triangle more. I thought DC called this very well. Uh, unfortunately, he couldn't call the other fights very well, but he, he called this very well. Uh, faked the triangle and then went over and got the arm bar? And, uh, Graham, 2020, an arm bar in men's MMA in 2020. Yeah, the the year the year of the armbar. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I feel like I've single-handedly brought the armbar back into MMA. It's like, do you know when you like a butterfly moves and it changes like the whole landscape of the earth. I feel like that's what happened with the armbar. Those fateful words after uh, Fabrizio Verdum armbarred Gustafsson. We've had we've had an armbar in fucking every card since then. Like it's mad. What's happening? The armbar's coming back, like yeah, yeah. You're just wrong. That's what that's what happened. <laughs> you you've just been incorrect this whole time. <laughs> it's pretty much it. <laughs> Did you evidently does work? <laughs> Shit, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe I mistook that. But no, I don't know. I it does feel like the oh yeah. But hold on, let's pop back as well to the jujitsu thing because Mikel Pereira at the end of that third round got the uh, suplex and then he rear naked choked your man did you think there was a tap there uh, no I didn't like I, I, no I didn't think there was a tap but I think it, it didn't like I wouldn't get outraged because I don't think it actually matters at all if, unless there was some kind of verbal verbal tap of some kind yeah I didn't uh, I went to bed straight after the card so maybe it's come out after but I thought there might have been a tap I wasn't sure but looking at the replays I didn't think it was a tap but it was one of those ones that you need to ask the guy himself uh, in Medayev to me, the biggest thing was the fight was stopped. And no matter how far you're behind on a fight, you know, there's only, what, 21 seconds left in this fight or something like that. Um, fighters always complain. You know, I'm sure Imadaev probably thought he was winning that fight you know, or could still win that fight. And he didn't complain at all, which I thought was very unusual. Well, he did a little bit. He kind of looked at the ref like, what the fuck? But I think he was just so fucking, like, over, just overmatched and beaten that he yeah. he kind of knew it was it didn't it didn't matter. Yeah, I th- I think it was Chris Tyone again who's had a very eventful last couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, like it did matter though. In fairness, if he didn't tap, you shouldn't stop the fight in that situation. But uh, yeah, it was I, I don't know. I, no, but to, it, I mean, yeah. in his mind, it didn't matter. Like he's probably yeah. just like, oh, he's beaten anyway. I'm not. This isn't. I'm not gonna go crazy about this. He's probably more just disappointed and beaten down just uh it's not even worth it yeah indeed indeed uh one thing as well i think it was in the uh the fabinski fight um or maybe it was maybe it was a fight before but i think clinch breaks in mma need to be quicker like we're seeing too many too much clinching now and with nothing happening you know very light kind of strikes in the clinch no hope of a takedown no hope of a submission there at all and they're going on for like two and three minutes of fights and like we, I, I really think like those sort of clinch positions need to be changed, and need to be uh, taken away quicker. Because I'll say it again: the sport needs to be entertaining, and needs we need to keep the entertainment levels of this sport up. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just, just a point, and think something we might look on going forward as well. Where our clinch clinches need to be broken quicker, but however. Um, Brian Keller heard uh, do, do you think yeah. part of it? Do you think part of the reason that you seem to think that they're maybe they are? I don't I haven't seen any statistics or anything, but I think you're probably right that they're going on for longer. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's because the crowd isn't there to boo and to hiss and to call for the referee to break them apart, so the ref maybe is under a little less pressure to to do it? 
Yeah, that's a, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's a good point. Especially latent fights. Because remember, like, we, we used to often see that before, especially from lads like Herb, you know, they come to the, the fourth and fifth round, and we're like, right, this is a close fight, we want something big to decide who's going to win this fight. And they're like, ah, fuck it, come on, we'll break the clinch after, like, 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it is. But, yeah, I, and, you know, the crowd would be roaring at them. I, I, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I, I agree, I, I do agree, it's like that. Um, and... Yeah, it really has only happened, hasn't it, in the last few months, uh, where it's gotten really, really bad, I think. Um, and, like, I, I actually, like, I like allowing them to fight in the clinch and allowing them to fight in the ground, but, some, like, sometimes it's just too much. And there reaches a stage where there's just nothing happening, like, and it's just a stalemate in that position. And it's grand to have a stalemate in, in certain positions, but when you're against the clinch, and, like, this is an attacking sport, it's written in the rules that this is an attacking sport, an offensive sport, and when you're not getting any effective offence in there, you know, against the fence, um, it's just pointless. And we need to just get rid of that position. And not get rid of it, but get get out from that position. Now, you know, if we have a situation last night, like over in Sakai, where they're smashing in knees and stuff, absolutely let them clinch and let them fight there. Or if it's Habib pushing someone, you know, with his shoulder against their... Uh, their hips and he's trying to take them down absolutely let him clinch for three or four minutes or whatever it might be or maybe, maybe not that long but you know what i mean but when there's just absolutely nothing happening i think you need to break those clinches quicker but however um then brian kelleher ireland's own brian kelleher beat conor mcgregor's record of 40 seconds for the fastest finish by an irishman this year in the ufc 39 seconds got the guillotine over uh, ray rodriguez not too much to say about it just went in um after a takedown attempt from uh, rodriguez and got the guillotine um, Viviana Ruja versus Montana De La Rosa then uh, was a, I thought it was a good fight um, uh, did definitely did enough to win it in the first two rounds especially I think two judges gave her the third and one judge gave De La Rosa the third I'd say, I'd say I haven't seen the cards but that's the way I, I, I think it was uh, and De La Rosa did a good job of coming back after getting very much bloodied up uh, to start that but um, good fight there I thought uh, thing about women's MMA is, and this is maybe a thing people, a lot of people won't talk about, but I think it's harder to judge than men's MMA for a lot. And maybe like it's not just women's MMA, but even flyweight MMA if it's a very even fight, and it's a very striking orientated fight because the effectiveness of the strikes, just because of their pure size and their strength, uh, compared to say heavyweights. It's harder to tell. Like, I talked about Overeem last night. In that fight, he landed that one big shot, and you could see the big effectiveness it had. In women's MMA and in lighter weights, lighter weight MMA, you don't see as many big effective strikes, which are judged more highly, and that makes rounds harder to judge. It makes them really close. And I think that's an interesting thought as well going forward here, maybe when we see more decisions, we see maybe some title fights coming up. Uh, but I thought I'd just throw it out there and see it anyway. But anyway, uh, Hunter Azor in and uh, Cole Smith. Azor uh, got uh, uh, knocked down in round one, uh, threw a leg kick. He was off balance, was Smith, and he came in with a beautiful left hook right hand after it knocked him down. In the second round, Azor was on top after Smith went for the takedown, and just basically the whole round on top. Didn't actually do much. And it would have been a close round if uh, there was... Uh, it was a close round, but if Smith, say, had got up and landed three or four strikes, he could have taken that round because Azor didn't actually do that much on top. And I think Andy Stevens was making that point as well and uh, a few other people. So that was... I like to hear that from people talking about judging like that. But he, he did win the round because Smith didn't do that. And then uh, in the last round, Smith got the back uh, in the last few minutes around to close it out. Didn't, didn't do enough... Um, uh, to, to like I, I thought he won the round but he didn't do enough if say it was a close round to take the round he didn't that, land that many strikes didn't threaten with the finish almost had a neck crank at one stage but I don't think it was that close but uh, he didn't I don't think he got close to finishing at any stage And but 29-28 I think across the board was uh, was the right one uh, performance tonight went to OSP Pereira, Munoz and Kelleher which I think was just about right so um, yeah all around I thought it was a pretty good card Mikel Pereira was good the, mo- the main event was pretty good Kelleher finish was very good so was the Munoz finish and OSP knockout as well it was absolutely brilliant and for even the two decisions the first two fights of the card were, were not bad the opening card wasn't, fight wasn't great but other than that pretty pretty good card all around um, we'll look ahead to next week here for a second and next week is just a horrible card just terrible altogether um there's actually fights here that 
on on Wikipedia that I'm looking, and they didn't show them last night on the UFC broadcast, so I don't know what's going on and what's not going on. But let me read out a few of them. They had uh, Sajari Eubanks versus Julia Vila. I'm pretty sure they had that up. They had Cam Awardy versus Otman Atzar as like the co-main event uh, on the broadcast last night. Neither of those two lads have um, have a Wikipedia page, but Cam Awardy is a good fighter, all right. Uh, they've Sabina Mazza, Justin Kish, Ed Herman, Mike Rodriguez, Alan Patrick, Bobby Green. That's that's not a bad fight. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts, the forty second president of the United States of America, versus Matt Frivola, Brian Barberine, Anthony Ivey, Frank Camacho, Brock Weaver, uh, two lads, Tagir Ul and Bekov versus Bruno Gustav da Silva, Machnell versus Tyson Nam. Oh, I like that fight. Uh, Roxanne Mediferi, Andrea Lee, Billy Quarantillo versus uh, Kyle Nelson, and your girl. Angela Hill versus Michelle Watson in five rounds of a main event. What do you think of that main event, Graham? Yeah, it's not great, is it? No. Um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely it's not great. Like, yeah. I agree with that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, there's a, there's a couple of decent fights on the card, but, but uh, the Tyson Nam, Matt Snell fight, as you mentioned, but oh, there's, there's not much there. No. on paper anyway like it might turn out to be some exciting fights and some exciting finishes but there's no real jeopardy in, in any of the fights um, at all yeah that, that's the thing about it as well like even the main event if, who, like maybe the Schnell Nam fight because Nam had a good knockout I believe in his last fight if I'm not mistaken a match Schnell is there or thereabouts as well I think he lost recently but I think the two of them were good fighters but yeah I don't know if that fight's even fucking happening it's on Wikipedia but I don't think they showed it in the, the graphic last night but however um, yeah. every time I see Tyson Nam fight I always or his name for a fight or whatever I always think oh where's uh, Eduardo Dantas and yeah, I have to check too. where he is <laughs> yeah. every time he's like looking up on Wikipedia see where he's wrong but yeah it's uh, that'd be good now in fairness but um, yeah who do you think will win that main event Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson uh, I think um, I think Angela Hill probably looked the best she's ever looked in her last fight but still I think I don't, I, I don't know I just think Michelle Watterson even though she's, she's smaller and she'll, she'll, she'll surely do enough here yeah uh, I don't know I, I, Michelle Watterson I think is a way better I fighter guess, but I think she's a lot smaller yeah the length issue, yeah. yeah the length and the jabbing but I think yeah I think she get inside I don't know it's hard to know like a yeah I don't really know and I, I think I think I'd like to see how much bigger Angela Hill is but yeah. I think she's going to be a lot bigger but uh, like I just think she uh, I just think she's so overrated and I know I know Styles make fights and all that and she definitely like probably jabbing is one of her better things and saying on the outside but um Michelle Waterson is just a much better fighter all around yeah. even though she's much smaller. <laughs> I think uh I think this fight will come down to game planning more so than most fights cuz you you call it dead right there. I think if Angela Hill can kind of jab her from the outside she will win because if you see Jack Slack put up a fucking hilarious video of Michelle Watterson like kicking and whiffing on fights by like worse than Leslie Smith by about 10 miles um, and she does that a lot and if you can kind of jab through those kind of pointless kicks and those j- her jabs from a mile away when she's much smaller than her opponents and land a few of them like you're probably going to win that fight and I know we talk about effective striking and all but you know uh, I think that's a way for Angela Hill to win it. and I think I actually I I'd probably maybe fancy her just to do that. But I, I feel like if Watterson can be the faster fighter, come inside, land one and two shots, and get out without taking too much damage, I think she can win it that way. The thing about it is, though, Watterson does take damage doing that when she does that a lot. And over five rounds as well, I know Watterson has fought in some main events and things before, and Hill hasn't. But Watterson, I, I don't think Watterson was ever fantastic going long in fights and I think that's because of her style I think she tries to like and it's because of her size as well she tries to be exciting and she tries to like she never holds back and she always throws her hands and always tries to win and I think that maybe takes a little bit out of her sometimes in terms of the output she's giving and how tired she gets and then the damage she takes as well by doing that so you know if Hill is smart I think she can win if if Watterson is smart I think she can win don't think it'll be a, a barren stormer by any means, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes anyway. Um, there's a few Bellator cards as well next week. Uh, the first one is headlined by Leota Machida versus Phil Davis, which could, like, that's another one that could be an absolute stinker, I think. Um, I think Phil Davis will probably just take Leota Machida down and uh, try to lie on him for, for three rounds, or if not, just try to jab him from the outside, and it could be an absolute stalemate on the feet. 
uh, with Leona Machida maybe diving in and landing a few big shots, but he's not as quick as he once was. So oh, that's a that's a fight. I, I is there any way you could see that fight going? Phil Davis versus Leona Machida, where it's not terrible. Like if it's on the feet, I think it's going to be terrible. On the ground, it's going to be more. Didn't didn't they fight before and Davis got a decision that he didn't deserve on Machida? Or am I gone insane? You could be right there. Hold um, on, let me let me click into these. Uh, I, I think there was like a really controversial decision for Davis where he basically did nothing and somehow won. Uh, on the feet in like a, yeah, a slow spar. Yeah. I, I, I might have made this up. No, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2013 um, UFC 163. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could be that with the decision going the correct way this time, maybe. Um, or, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to get up for that fight. Yeah. Not great. Uh, also, it's not a bad card. Katzengano uh, is fighting Gabrielle Holloway, who's 6 and 5 and not really familiar with her, but good to see Katzengano back. Uh, Ed Root is back here fighting Taylor Johnson. Raymond Dalian, Daniels, the footboxer lad, is fighting as well here. Uh, Rafael Carvalho is fighting Alex uh, Polizzi. Carl Fortune, Jack May, and then Keith Lee. I thought he was wrestling there last week. Fighting Vinicius Zani. And Leslie Smith, your girl Leslie Smith, is back here. Fighting uh, Amanda Bell as well. So good to see her back. And uh, I'm sure Sinead Cavanaugh will be watching that with uh, with a lot of interest. Uh, then UFC, or uh, sorry, Bellator 246. Really good fight to top this. Juan Arculeta versus uh, Patchy Mix for the vacant uh, Bantamweight title. Mixes 13 and 0. And looks like one of the best prospects in the world absolutely fantastic fighter um and beat ricky bandejas a few fights ago so uh you know we know how good ricky bandejas is or has been in the last while anyway and in arcaleta 24 and 2 in, in his career beat henry corrales in his last fight your boy eduardo dantas he beat him two fights ago beat ricky bandejas as well so um you know he's there thereabouts as well he's only lost in the last what uh jesus a long time he's only lost in the last five years is to uh patricio pitbull so really good record there for him and that should be a, a really really good fight so i look forward to seeing that and i'm sure a few of the irish lads brian moore and james gallagher and a few more lads will have uh will have an interest in that uh, fight as well um john fitch speaking of boring fighters against nyman gracie in the in the common event <laughs> uh, I feel like Nyman Gracie will will probably win that. Um, I think he is, you know, he's a good fighter. Obviously, he's the last name Gracie. Lots of uh, lots of triangles and stuff, and and rear naked chokes and submissions. But I think he's, from what I remember, I haven't watched him in ages. But I think he's not bad on the feet either. But you know, John Fitch finds ways to make fights terrible, so he probably will. Uh, like back to back cards with John Fitch and Phil Davis on it for Bellator lads you're not doing yourselves any favours there you know they should probably separate him but anyway uh, Liz Carmouche versus Deanna Bennett uh, Derek Campos versus Keone Diggs and other people as well uh, on those cards not bad not bad at all for Bellator you know some good fights there especially that patchy mix yeah, very exciting main event yeah yeah mm. very interested to see what happens there um I'd probably go with Patchy, but uh, like I haven't uh, like with the UFC, you kind of it's easier to have a read on these guys. You've seen more of them, or there's more there's more videos around. Like Bellator, it can be harder to to keep up with these guys. Yeah, indeed, it definitely is. Um, we'll answer a few questions here, but one thing I wanted to ask you is, what did you think of Dana White saying um, they're they're going to put Shimaev against Mirshart on? It looks like, and then if he wins that, they're going to give him Damian Maya. Do you think it's a step too soon, or do you think it's the right move? Um, it seems like a little bit of an unnecessary risk, uh, the Maya one. Um, but Maya is 40-something, I think, at this stage. So uh, maybe his best days are behind him. But still, if, if he gets your back, we've seen it so many times over the years, how, how much... Um, how heavy on top he can be and how awkward he can be. And... Um, it's definitely going to be a big step up for Shimaev anyway, and we'll find out a lot about him. Yeah, I, I like. I think it's very rarely you should move people this quickly. Like I am always advocating for people to have you know easier matchups and stuff. And we, actually, we, I was disappointed to make that as well. But I think some people look like phenoms when they're coming through. Now he mightn't be. You know, Shimaev might be found out in two fights time, and that'll be the end of him. You know, but he looks right now like a phenom. He looks like one of the best fighters in the world right now. So let's see, you know, let's roll the dice and put him in there against someone like Maya. I think Pettis would have been a better option or someone like that. But I think Maya is, 
Maya is a fantastic fight, like, because you, you're putting him on the ground against someone who is an expert ground fighter. We saw what he did to Ben Askren, you know. Um, and I'm really interested in that fight. I, I, I don't know if Maya will take that fight, you know, because what it's kind of a lose-lose fight for, for Maya at that stage. But, uh, yeah, I love that fight. I think it'll be interesting. But another thing as well, like... You know, talking about matchmaking like that, and there was questions came in last couple of weeks because uh, Mukai fought a guy who was uh, like I don't know, two and seventeen or whatever, and then there's this Probellum card that got cancelled, and they were putting on car fights that were like you know one and forty two against like a guy who's six and zero or whatever, and they had three or four of them, and Chris Stringer was fighting one of them as well, I think, and Brave have been known to do it down through the years, you know, someone sent me on three or four different cards and main events and stuff that Brave did it as well. Um, like my take on this whole thing right is and i know be like sometimes it's you know you shouldn't put fucking john jones in there against fucking reese street you know or you shouldn't put like someone who's really really good in there against someone who's really really bad but if you're building someone up and they're two and oh three and oh or making their debut or something like that i don't have a problem when i'm fighting journeyman you know or someone and it's and there's a difference i know between like cans and journeyman and I don't want them fighting too many cans. Like, I think um, Cal Elnor said it the other day. James Gallagher kind of called him out that he fought one of these guys. And he said, well, I did it because my opponent pulled out like two days before the fight. I had loads of tickets sold and all. And they had to keep me on the card. So this was the only option. And like, that's understandable, I suppose. I like, I understand why people are totally against this. And I'm against it as well, most of the time. But I still feel like fighters coming up need easier fights in the first few um fights of their career and i'm not talking about padding records i'm not saying someone get to 10 and 0 and then get to the ufc and you know get absolutely smashed i'm talking about building experience and building themselves up to when they get to maybe 5 and 0 they can fight yeah, someone else who's 5 the and feelings all. of pressure and a crowd and the cage door shutting you know all that stuff and you need to get more comfortable with it yeah, in, exactly. And like, I, I think the problem ones were pretty bad because Chris Stringer, you know, he's been around for what, 10 years, you know, fought Reds or not, and he shouldn't be fighting, especially when it was three weeks out of it. And I know the cars are fighting or whatever, or the cars are happening or whatever, but like, you could surely find someone better than that on weeks' notice to fight someone like that. So I, don't, I that's not, definitely not good. But I think for young up and comers coming through, like Keen Cowley was given a fight this week, and um, I, what is, I think he's, Keen Cowley's two and four in his career, and I think he's fighting a guy who's like 10, three and one. I'm like, that's I, like Keen might go and win the fight, and I think Keen's very good. And I spoke to him on the podcast before, and I think he has the right attitude towards MMA, and it's, it seems to be doing everything the right way. And it's just not kind of going for him and not clicking for him. But I feel like someone in that position, right, who is a, a very good prospect and who people have signed up, and who, who's a known name because of his connections to Conor McGregor and all that. You, I think, I think you should be building him better, and especially when he get like. Like Aaron Pico, when he lost those couple of fights, they gave him little bits of step back and then built him back up again, you know? I feel like fighters should be... That should be done for all fighters you think might be very good and, you know, who are coming out at good gyms and who have, like, a good background like Ian Cowley has on uh, in kickboxing. Like, I think him fighting someone who's fucking you know, 2-15 and 15, rather than someone who's, you know, 1-10 and 10 would be a better option for him at this stage of his career and maybe two fights down the line fight that guy instead. I, like I don't see the point of taking a risk like this at this stage of your career to to get that just for the sake of like and and you know maybe maybe it's not him or maybe it's not John Kavanaugh or his management whoever it might be deciding maybe it's the promotion deciding it. and uh, yeah I don't know who who is doing it but I feel like I feel like that's you know that it would be a better option just to take that step back but I don't know what what's your feelings on on these uh, mad mismatches that time I'm not saying that's a mad mismatch but in general like the the ones in pro and stuff. Yeah, I think like you know, as you mentioned in somebody like Stringer's case, where they're already experienced veteran themselves, it it, it doesn't really make much sense. Bar just making some money or selling some tickets or getting paid or whatever. But maybe in these in these circumstances with coronavirus, people need to get paid, and so maybe it's a a case for, for I don't know anything about the Stringer situation, but people like Stringer that it's a case of a case of needing to get paid. Yeah, yeah. That, but that, I think generally. Generally, I think uh, when you're when you're the first few fights of your career, when you're when you're a perfect when you turn professional, I think 
just people don't want to say, oh, I don't want to pop my record. But you need to, as I said, you need to feel those those feelings and experience mm-hmm. that and, you know, uh, become more comfortable because it's a, it's a very uncomfortable and scary thing to do, um, be a professional fighter. Like, it's definitely something you're not comfortable with straight away. And uh, obviously, we don't want to see people do the maybe like the Michael Van Page thing where you never really fight anybody or when you do it's once and then you go back to fighting nobody's again and obviously he fought people like Cyborg and stuff it's kind of a little bit different than a 1 in 52 or whatever fighter but somebody with that talent uh, to be fighting somebody like that it just doesn't really make sense for this long yeah but at the start of the career, like, you know, we see with Fabian Edwards, you're kind of slowly building up, fighting tougher guys, showing more. I think that's the route to go. 100%. Uh, definitely. And like these guys as well are getting good, especially the Irish guys now. A lot of them are getting good careers in the IMFs and things like that as, as amateurs. And, you know, they can build themselves up that way as well. But however, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll part that for another day. And uh, hopefully it was disgusting enough for the people out there. Um, one or two questions before we go. Uh, Carl Fagan asks, will fans be allowed to attend Fight Island or will uh, fans ever be allowed back? They'll be allowed back at some stage. I'm not sure about Fight Island. I'm not sure what the situation with the coronavirus is over there. Uh, but it'll be interesting. Also, I spoke to the promoters from Cage Legacy this week and uh, they gave me great, like, uh, the, the cards, the Cage Legacy uh, MMA card is coming up in October, so there's still a good bit out and you know anything could happen between now and then. But... Um, I was very impressed with what the the lads said, you know, that they are, you know, the card is scheduled to happen in the Red Cow, so what they're going to do is separate everyone out, you know, into different rooms, whether it's, you know, two, two rooms together for Team Rhino, two rooms together for SBG, you know, and for other gyms like that as well. Uh, and keep them all together and bring them in one at a time and keep a certain amount of people in the venue. They're going to try to test if they can get... Um, the backing, you know, if they can get sponsorship in, they said they'd lo- absolutely love to do that. But it's obviously going to be a financial decision. And, like, we are in a situation as well where, you know, we have hurling happening every week. We have football happening every week. We've lads going into dress rooms with, you know, who are all coming from their own homes. And, um, you know, fucking 30 lads inside in the dressing room together. That, you know... We, we maybe we look at MMA differently and MMA obviously at the start of the pandemic had to be done differently and as did all sports and all sports closed down I suppose as part from MMA and that's why we had very harsh reactions to what the UFC were doing but I think from this point on you know we mentioned it at the time we have to find ways around doing things and I think they're gonna you know the lads are gonna try to do that whether they can test and if not doing as safe as possible also uh, they told me they were gonna tell the fighters uh or uh, like encourage the fighters to stay in their group so let's say if you know let's say conor mcgregor's fighting on cage legacy right and his two corners are going to be artem labov and and john kavanagh so like they're going to encourage lads to you know if mcgregor stay with john kavanagh and stay with artem labov for the last week for just kind of train with those guys and try to isolate with those guys as much as you can and then come into the fight to make it like a little bit safer which i think is actually a smart thing to do i think it's something that like the ufc and bellator maybe you should be able to do as well but you know that's obviously very hard to police but um yeah the, the signs i got from the lads and everything that the lads said i thought i was very impressed with but well you know we're two months out from that card now we'll see uh we'll see how things go if the numbers keep rising obviously you know nothing might happen if the numbers keep falling we, you know everything might be all right but um i think everyone would be very encouraged to hear irish mma is kind of coming back it's been a tough few years for fighters promoters gyms and everything and uh, it'd be great to see the car coming back like that with given you know um giving fighters uh, an opportunity to uh to get on cars but you know it has to be done safely as well and i think the lads are taking the measures uh that they they need to to do it safely but however we'll, we'll see how it goes anyway um right aaron cullen do you think uh light, osp could be a light heavyweight champion now that it's so barren I don't think so. I, think I, st- I still think the, the two lads that are fighting for it at the moment. and uh, That Glover to Sheriff fight was cancelled as well because he got the Rona. And there was another couple of fights last night cancelled because they got the Rona as well. Like these these things are just happening. We talked about that last week. Uh, and last question here. I'll answer every other question on the podcast or on the, the q and I'll be out Tuesday morning on Patreon. Graham, this one's for you. Who's next for Pereira? Who do you think you should fight next? What, what would be your dream fight? What would be the most exciting fight for Mikel Pereira? Oof, Jesus. Um, is it too soon for Wonderboy? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Although I hate it at the same time. It's like my children fighting. I don't know. Oh, What a fight that would be. It's not too soon for it, I don't think. It'd be brilliant. Some people are saying Chimaya versus Pereira, but I hate that fight. Like, don't, do not do that fight. 
that'd be uh, that'd be fucking miserable. Yeah, I, I like. I think you're right. I think that's the one. I, I think uh, Wonderboy versus uh, Pereira is the one. But anyway, right. That's it, Graham. Oh, actually, before we go, what do you think of uh, Liverpool selling Wijnaldum? Would you be happy with that? Um, rather than him go for free next season, I can understand it, but I I would like to see him stay. Uh, obviously they're talking about bringing Thiago in as a replacement, but he's a bit injury prone, and Klopp's kind of asks demands a lot from his from his midfielders, especially. I don't know uh, how Thiago would hold up. It's kind of a it's a risk. It's definitely a risk uh, swapping out Ronaldo for Thiago if that were to happen. Um, the safe option of like you know ninety seven, ninety eight points. In the last season, like you know, when Alden played big, big parts in both of those seasons, and um, it may not be flashy, like he may play a kind of muted role compared to what he played for Newcastle or plays for Netherlands, but he's an extremely effective player, so it's definitely a risk. But, um, you know, they could just wait a year and hope Thiago signs for free next year and when Alden can leave for free next year but you know Thiago might get a better offer when he's on a free from a, from a Man City or a Man United with all that money mm-hmm. yeah Man United are apparently in for him as well but I don't know I think they're probably just using Man United to hurry up Liverpool you know which I'm happy enough about to be honest because we just signed Van de Beek and we'd Although Fred might be going, so maybe Man United would need him, but I, I don't know. I, I'd like to see him at Man United. I think he'd be a good player for Liverpool. I actually think he'd be better for Man United because of the exact reasons you said there. I don't know whether he hold up the Klopp style. I think like Man United at home, I think he could Man United could do with a defensive midfield player like him who will pass the ball when, and doesn't need to actually defend that much, but Liverpool have a different sort of style. But yeah, I don't know. It's fun anyway. We'll see... Uh, We'll see who the people are, are signing. But uh, if anyone wants a, more soccer talk, go over and listen to that podcast up for free with Ken Early and sign up for Patreon, patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. It's the first month of the, our first week of the month. So a good time, uh, a good time to sign up now and you can support me and support Graham and keep the lights on and keep us here talking about the stuff you want to hear people talking about. You know, we talked about the start of the podcast. Um, it's MMA people covering MMA these days and the wider community in Ireland especially isn't covering MMA. So... If you want to keep that happening, you know what to do and support us and give us give us your fiver a month. It's only the price of a cup of fucking tea a month uh, and you'll get like fucking 30 podcasts. Uh, but sure, look, you won't get that much, sorry, like 20. Uh, okay, thank you very much, Graham. Thank you to everybody for listening. And all that's left to do is give the inspiration quote of the week. Change the way you look at things and the things you look at will change. We'll see you next Tuesday. A very Monday or Sunday.